he would set a goal. And, and if I reached that, then he would set a further goal. And if I reached that, then he would set a further. I mean, it was just never, there was never the pat on the back that said, great job. Let's see how much further you can take this. Keep going. What happened is we had a long conversation and I came to realize that he did not feel he was getting enough communication from me. Welcome to episode 30 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Wendy. She used the donation basket button on our website. Thank you, Wendy, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today, we are going to talk about program in the workplace. Do you have a hard time setting boundaries at work? Do you find yourself staying late even though it affects your self-care? Maybe you can deal more effectively with your difficult coworkers now that you're in program. Let's talk about it. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of program in the workplace. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Swaitha, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you today, Kelly? Good afternoon, Swaitha. I'm good. Glad to be here. Great. And next to Kelly is special guest host Mary. How are you, Mary? Doing fine. Great. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Program in the Workplace. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, what is happening in the meetings we attend, and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. Normally here we do a reading, but uh, we got a voicemail from Ann H., and we're just going to go ahead and play the voicemail here. Hi, everybody. It's Ann H. down here in Georgia. Nice to be able to leave a message for you on this topic of using Al-Anon in the workplace. You know, that's really what my program's been focused on lately. So I was really excited, and I wanted to call and say hey to y'all and, and let you know what, what I've been thinking. When I first came into Al-Anon, especially doing a fourth-step inventory, I really learned uh, that some assumptions I had about behavior that I learned through my family system, you know, assumptions that, that the only options were to be worried, to be anxious, to be righteous and indignant, to be a martyr, that, that those things, which I just assumed were the way of the world, were actually not my only choices. And I really learned that through my fourth-step inventory when it came to my family. And once I discovered that, I started looking around me in my place of work where I discovered that the assumption was that you would always be overworked, tired, snippy, anxious. And if you weren't those things, you weren't working hard enough. You weren't doing your job right. That is just the way of this particular career that I was in. And I, I looked around my, my coworkers and I saw that that was just the behaviors that were, were modeled for me and that's how I thought I had to be. So I had a really hard time finding serenity in the workplace. Um, such a hard time that I actually left my job, uh, went back to school to try to train in something else and discovered that like a geographic fix where you try to just move away from the alcoholic, just trying to move away from a particular career didn't didn't provide me with the serenity I was looking for. And ultimately, I've ended up back in my career that is really a calling for me, but I feel I'm called to learn how to do that job with serenity. 
So what that means is looking at the behavioral assumptions around me that, you know, you have to be overworked, tired, hungry, short with my staff, all of those things, that those aren't necessary for me to be good at what I do. So I'm back at it. I've had, um, you know, it's, it's seasonal work, so I've, I've been back at it for about six weeks now, and I think I'm doing pretty well. So I found myself recently um, getting really short with my staff, and it was just this feeling, and it was such an old feeling, and I spent some time really thinking about when did I feel this way before, and it was pre-Alanon feelings, this loss of serenity that I just was so old and uncomfortable, and so I thought back, what did I do with these feelings? How How is it that I didn't have these anymore? And what I realized is I'd inventoried all of this stuff um, in the past any time that I had these feelings, so now it's time to take that inventory to, to the workplace, and and I really did, and it was about relationships, and it was about my expectations, and what I expected out of other people, and what I expected out of myself, spent some time in, in inventory, and came back with a, with a lot more serenity than I'd ever had at work in the past. I think I'm a better example for my staff, for the people that I work for, for the children that I'm around, and that I'm able to just be an example of, of a way that you can be without feeling and still have serenity. Al-Anon is indeed a program of relationships, and for me, I work with people, and my and very as most of us do. So what is work but but in interpersonal relationships? So I find Al-Anon works so great for me um, in the context of the workplace. Anyway, thanks so much, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. That was Anne's voicemail, and I thought it was I thought it had a lot of really great points. Kelly, do you have any additional thoughts about that? I do. The first thing that stuck out to me from Anne's voicemail was when she talked about how she learned that that feeling of being overworked was the correct way to live. Um, and that if you're not overworked, you're not working hard enough. And I could really relate to that. I feel like in, in my environment growing up, I didn't get a lot of positive reinforcement from a lot of different sources. But work was the one place that I always got that from. Um, if I stayed late, if I picked up shifts or worked extra hours, or even if I stayed after and was off the clock and was doing extra work, um, it was always seen by my employers as a really positive thing that I was willing to be a team player and help out. And so I never got the message that that was maybe a potential uh, self-care issue. And because I really liked that feeling of positive reinforcement, I kept doing that. <laughs> you know, it was it's nice to feel wanted and needed and to hear that you're doing a good job. And so... I was one of those kids that I started working as soon as I was able to, and I didn't just have one job. During the summer, I had three or four jobs, depending on how many hours I could get at each job. And I also worked during school because I just didn't want to be at home. and, And I again, I liked that feeling of positive reinforcement. So it was a great outlet for me to get out of the house I got a lot of accolades for being there, and I also got paid for doing it. So it was like a double win situation. So I also liked that she said, when she was talking about where she's at today, that she said it's possible to do any job without losing your serenity. And that really struck me when she said that, because 
you know, I feel like a lot of people that I know do that sort of geographical cure that she referred to, where if they're in a job and the, the employee dynamics aren't working or something is kind of funky, the that our, our kind of natural instinct is to think, well, this just isn't the right job for me. I'm out of here. I, I can find something else. And not to say that that's wrong, because, you know, I do feel that there are definitely some environments that I worked in that that regardless of how many tools I use, they wouldn't have been good for me. But it is interesting that, you know, escaping is our is our first thought. And and so it is interesting to me now uh, using some of the tools that I use to be able to stay in the workplace that I'm in now and and be able to keep my serenity doing that. Okay. Uh, what about you, Mary? I like the idea of realizing that if you go from one place to another, like a geographical cure, sometimes the same old rotten things come <laughs> up. Especially if uh, one works in a helping profession, if, uh, like she says she works with kids, or if you work in the service, or if you work in other kinds of positions, we all want to be nice and we want to do what we're supposed to do at work. And I, I want to be liked. And I got to tell you, the times that I get in most trouble is when I'm unaware of how my buttons are being pushed. Mm. And if somebody says that they expect me to uh, jump over leap tall buildings in a single bound, (laughs) and I just look at them and go, yeah, right. You know, I'm not going to argue with them about that. That's I'm not, I'm just not able to do that. I really liked what Anne had to say about not being a martyr and really working on that. I've worked on that for a really long time. I'm no longer a martyr. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't respond well to people that are, and that's where I got in trouble at the workplace. Mm. Oh, man. <laughs> I want to hear more about that later. Right? <laughs> um, I really liked a lot of what she was mentioning about that, especially the overworked and tired, that if you're not overworked and tired, that means you're not doing enough or you're doing it wrong. I think that if I wasn't overworked or tired, I think that's how I find my limit of working. Like when I'm just at that point where I'm really pissed off all the time and yelling at everyone and like aggravated and not getting enough sleep, that's when I'm like, I must be doing a really good job at work. (laughs) And I mean, since the program, I mean, I like Mary's face right now. She's like, oh, keep coming back. But uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely um, would do that at work. Just feel like if I wasn't doing so much that it was uh, affecting my self care, then I wasn't doing enough. Because otherwise, I wouldn't. I think I don't know exactly how to explain this. I think it was that when I had physical repercussions of the way I'm working, then I could say to my boss, "Well, look how much I'm working. Like, how could you possibly find fault with me if I'm?" clearly busting my ass so much that I'm not getting enough sleep. You can't find fault with me for that. I must be an awesome employee. (laughs) And I think that was, in a weird way, my, like, job security. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and I think also there was some level of control. There is a lot of control I have trouble with at the workplace. Right now I'm working on a project with with a, a person at my work and actually my supervisor, and he is not all that tech savvy. (laughs) And 
I am, and that's what the project is. So he oftentimes will go into this program and try and make changes, and it'll break like five other things. Oh, no. So I think I think before the program, I'd just be like, don't touch anything. Just don't do it. <laughs> or I'd go completely submissive and just be like, oh, you, you made a mistake. It's so, you know what? It was really my fault. I should have I should have told you, or don't worry, it's my job to fix all your mistakes, or something like that. But now it's it's just like no no I don't really think I'm gonna come in on the weekend and fix whatever coding issue. <laughs> if you broke it, well don't worry, we can worry about it on Monday. Please don't call <laughs> on the weekends, and and setting those boundaries. It's been it's been really hard I think. Um, but once I started doing it and realizing I'm not gonna get fired for taking care of myself, it's been kind of addictive actually. Um, <laughs> Someone mentioned this at a meeting recently where she was saying that self-care is really hard for her to do until she starts doing it and then she just she can't stop. She like she loves it. She can't, and then she'll slip away from it and then she can't do it. And yeah, so I, I definitely feel that way when it comes to work. I start feeling a lot of fear and control and then and then I'll realize that I need to take better self-care. My sponsor or program friend will call me out and then I focus on self-care and then I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is the best. And then, you know, a couple months will go by or a couple days even sometimes and, <laughs> and I slip back into old patterns. Um, that's what the program is, right? Pro- progress, not perfection. See our previous episode for more details. <laughs> yeah. What about setting boundaries at work? Do you guys have difficulty setting those boundaries at work, like saying you won't come in on the weekends or, or things like that? Do you want to start us off, Kelly? Yeah. Um, so my current situation is a little bit different because I am self-employed and I work from home. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily have <laughs> I don't necessarily have those office type interactions, like specifically that you were talking about, but but I have worked in many jobs where I have, and they were all pre-programmed. So at that point, it was definitely hard to set any kind of boundaries with anybody. I got walked all over all the time, basically. You know, I was the one that everyone came to if they needed a shift picked up because I couldn't say no. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to disappoint the business by not having that shift covered. There was, you know, a lot of guilt involved in that process for me. (laughs) But now I find that I have difficulty in setting boundaries with myself. So you were talking about that issue of staying late, working on the weekends. Um, Because my work and my home are the same place, it's very easily accessible. So if I'm bored, if I'm anxious, if if I got that task late Friday and I can't stop thinking about it, it's not like I have to get in the car and drive to the office to go take care of it. I just walk a couple of feet, pick up my computer, (laughs) and it's right there in front of me. So it is difficult to keep that separation. And I notice that when I don't do that, it's very easy to start that um, snowball effect where Mm -hmm. I'll do a little bit of work on the weekend And then towards the end of that following week, I start to feel a little bit burnout because I worked on the weekend and now I've worked all week. And so then I'll tell myself, I'm just going to take the afternoon off or I'm going to take a day off. And then that snowballs. And and it's just, I have to stay in like some kind of a consistent routine. Otherwise, I I don't set boundaries with myself and it just gets out of control. And then I'm working these weird hours and people like don't know when to get a hold of me. And it's just not very 
productive for anybody. So yeah, the boundaries of myself at this point are the hardest to deal with. Oh man, preach it, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Mary? My current profession is populated with people that work Mm 24-7. And uh, I studied a long time to join this profession. And uh, now that I'm there, I'm thinking, ooh, you know, that's it's, it's much worse than it was when I started out. The culture is you're expected to work a lot. I don't mind working very hard, and I don't mind working a lot. But what I do mind is working all the time. It's just not efficient for me. I don't produce good work if I don't have a decent rest. My boss uh, is from another culture. Actually, I have to say my former boss is uh, from another culture where they work so hard to come to this country that uh, once they get here, one of the reasons that they become very successful is they continue to work 24-7 all the time. And self-care is really not smiled upon. And so when I say, now, this Thanksgiving, I'd prefer you did not call me over the weekend the reaction wasn't very good. The previous Thanksgiving, my boss had called me, count them four times over Thanksgiving weekend. And I did agree to work one morning of that time. But I had to catch up so much with all the changing criteria for completion of the job that I ended up working much of the weekend. And when I set my boundaries up there, the response was, oh, you're exaggerating. That's not true. We worked one morning and that was it. One of the things that is uh, something that really attracted me to this profession was you could engage in intellectual debate, and there's nothing I used to like better than that. As a matter of fact, before I got into recovery, I used to go to a bar and argue with the drinking lawyers because it was so much fun. (laughs) And I used to get a big charge out of debating with them. And I've had enough recovery now that I don't enjoy doing that. And while I enjoy a spirited debate, I don't enjoy uh, participating in abusive conversation. And my now former boss's idea of a spirited debate was um, saying things like, so what? Tell me your ideas. So I put my ideas out there. Well, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. What other ideas do you have? Well, how about this? How about that? How about something else? No, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard, and these are the reasons why. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, gee, (laughs) I guess I won't be putting out too many of those ideas. Well, your problem is lack of originality. You need to come up with some good ideas. And so I'd go, okay. So um, I'd work very hard and come up with what I thought were original ideas. And I'd look at the data and I would come out and I would say, well, present this idea and this is what I'm going to do. And the response was, well, so what? Why is that a good idea? I said, well, because of this and this. Well, so what? Who cares about that? And I would just be like, you know, I'm feeling attacked. And then my boss proceeded to mimic me to my face. I got to tell you, my ethnic group (laughs) doesn't, well, most ethnic groups probably don't like being mimicked to their face, but we get really offended. We're easily offended anyway, but um, (laughs) we get really offended when this happens. And when I said, stop mimicking me, they got worse and worse. And I stood up and I said, I can't take this. I'm going to have to talk to you at another time. 
that I guess uh, that's when the beginning of the end came because um, my limits were not accepted or respected. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways I would set limits would be when the uh, the deadlines changed or when the task expanded. You know uh, what is what do they call it? Deadline creep or something? You know where where <laughs> uh, the deadline gets closer and closer and the task gets bigger and bigger. Okay. Um, I would do my best, but then I would go home at the time I was supposed to go home. And I was reprimanded for not working on the weekends and not coming in early and staying late. I lost the respect of my boss because of that. Wow. (laughs) Jinx, you owe me a soda. I'm kind of glad I work from home now. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that sounds, well, I'm glad it's your former boss. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm really yeah. glad to hear Congratulations. that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not tech savvy. I'm really not. I'm, my talent lies in another area. But I feel like uh, my higher power gave me this job where everybody else is very tech savvy so that I could get more tech savvy so that mm-hmm. I could actually function in the new wave of my profession, which is very technical. So, so in many ways, this has been a gift. Mm-hmm. It's just I have to not take things personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a stupid person. I couldn't have gotten this far if I was really stupid. Mm-hmm. My last evaluation mm-hmm. was a 45-minute list of my shortcomings. Wow. I think my boss touched on all my shortcomings and maybe a few that I don't think I have. Did your fourth step for you, did she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, she, did she find your notes on that and read it to you? or uh, Made up a few new ones, too. Oh, good. <laughs> and when I said, well, okay, now, now that we've talked about all my shortcomings, I'd like to hear something that uh, you thought I did well. And then came the mimicking again about people, not me this time, mm-hmm. but about people that think too much of themselves when they're really not very good at all and how the supervisor really didn't want to contribute to someone thinking too well of themselves and working under that delusion. I asked them to stop mimicking me again, and they stood up, picked up their computer and said, I'm leaving. I can't talk to you when you're this emotional. (laughs) It's just, it's it's astounding what people put up with the workplace now. Because I got to tell you, most of my life, I was unemployed for maybe about 15 minutes at a time. And then not very often. The work climate is different now. I can't get a job in 15 minutes like I used to be able mm-hmm. to. So I have to be a lot more careful. And I'm afraid now. I'm afraid that I won't be able to get another job. And things are kind of scary. Well, the great thing is, is that after this conversation where she picked up her computer and walked out of the room, she must have talked to somebody higher up because the next thing I know, I'm transferred and I have a new boss. <laughs> and they're very happy to have me. Good. And I'm very grateful. Higher power wow. working for you. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That just, wow. <laughs> just going to take a moment. Um the other oh. thing I did was pray for my boss. Mm-hmm. I prayed for her uh, every day when I wasn't fantasizing about doing other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I prayed that good things would happen to her and her family. And, you know, good things did happen to her and her family. And she's now leaving. Oh. And she's going to work somewhere far away. <laughs> and um, so not only are they... She's not my boss anymore, but she's leaving the institution, and things are going to be great. Great. Wow. Wow. That reminds me a lot of 
a lot of this uh, previous work situation I was in, where where my boss also expected me to work really, really, this was pre-program, work really, really late. And he would throw tantrums in meeting rooms, like literally his, his face would th- turn red. He would stomp. It looked like, it looked like a, a kid at a grocery, literally mm-hmm. like a kid at a grocery right, store. Right. But when it's like a 45-year-old man My goodness. in a suit that has a, <laughs> an MD and a PhD, you're just kind of thinking, whoa. <laughs> and... I was I hadn't been out of school very long and uh I I don't think I'd ever seen that before. I think that's part of what it was was just the shock. <laughs> and also I think a lot of a lot of my behaviors also I think this was pre so still something I still do a little bit but a lot of pre Al-Anon sort of thing is that I would base my behaviors on the way people around me were reacting to them. So if even if it was in a meeting room and my boss was saying completely inappropriate things, throwing tantrums, yelling, screaming, or whatever, no one else would say anything because they were all really codependent too. <laughs> and um, so I was like, this must be okay. This must be all right. It doesn't matter that I'm uncomfortable with it. Like I wouldn't, I wasn't self-aware enough or had enough self-esteem to just be able to say, I'm uncomfortable with it. It doesn't matter if other people aren't reacting to it. And I also used to be terrified about, you know, the way the workplace is and things like, or, yeah, the way the economy is, not being able to get enough jobs or get enough of a job or good enough job. And uh, so I just kind of tolerated it and put up with it and put up with it until until I snapped. And before that, though, I, mean, I didn't like snap and go postal or something. I just snapped and <laughs> turned in my resignation letter. <laughs> but before that, I used to do a lot of what you were mentioning, Kelly, like, tell myself, well, you know, I've worked so hard, I can just kind of slack off a little bit here and there. And I think I, my low self-esteem, I would do so much work and feel like I have to make up for things or be good enough or something like that. And then, and then somewhere in my head would like creep in the sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that balance of just, I need self-care. It was, I need to overwork myself and then feel overworked and exhausted so I can then feel entitled to free time. And then I get to choose the free time because it has to be when I feel overworked and tired. Otherwise, it must not have deserved it. And and so that was, yeah, I, I ended up doing all this work. There were several times when I wrote papers that were to be published and he took credit for all of it and published them oh. himself and put his name no on the way. paper. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and so after a while, I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. If I stay here, I'm going to be depressed. I'm just going to slip into a depression. And I left. And this was all pre program And then I came here and geographical cure. <laughs> it was <laughs> a little over a thousand miles away. And um, it didn't work. Mary, you were right. <laughs> Anne, you were right. <laughs> Geographical cures never work. I think this was a higher power moment, though, because I came here, and wouldn't you know it, I was seated in a room with a coworker who was an older gentleman who threw tantrums and threw things and yelled and screamed, and um, and we were alone in a room together. So it wasn't like there were other witnesses. So mm. he would just randomly have these tantrums, and then... I'd freak out, and after a while, I was just like, I can't handle. I would, I would keep telling my supervisor this happened, this happened, and he'd he would say, Oh, you know, that's just how he is. He doesn't mean any harm. And the same thing happened. Like you know, I took my cues from external sources, and I didn't do anything until finally one day I just couldn't come into work because I was so freaked out by an outburst he had the previous day. I ended up calling a program friend, went and talked to my HR person at work, and they moved my room. They switched 
my room and I, HR came and talked to me and was like, and then at the end of it, uh, they were like, you know, we couldn't find any proof that he did this. So we recommend you get some therapy. And I was thinking, wow. okay, <laughs> I think I called uh, my sponsor possibly that I think I called my sponsor that day or texted my sponsor who um, poor, poor woman gets like 10 page texts. <laughs> um, but she got a, a lot of texts that day. And I realized uh, after talking to her that it doesn't matter what HR thinks. I was in a different room. My needs were met. I didn't need that external validation. And now I don't know if this, uh, this may not be totally programmed, but um, now this man that was having these behavioral issues was working with some other people. And of course, these behaviors cropped up again. HR had to come in again. And they're like, oh, there are witnesses now. Hmm. So now he's on probation and they're wow. working it out. But I thought I would feel like this rush of vindication and just like, ha, told you so. <laughs> but I didn't. I was just kind of like, okay, well, when when my coworker came up to me and said, hey, this is going on. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to talk to. Instead of being like, oh, I told all of you. I told you. You should have listened to me. Instead <laughs> of that, I was just, it was nice because of the program to be able to just sit with her and say, you know what? I've been there. I know how you feel. These are the actions I took. Take what you like and leave the rest. Yeah, that's it. And just left it there and was able to offer support. Yeah. And setting those boundaries, setting personal boundaries, even saying, I'm uncomfortable with this and I, this, I don't think this is going to be a good workplace for me unless something can change is always really hard because I'm always scared I'm undervalued, always mm -hmm. scared that, not undervalued, that I'm valued exactly how much I should be valued and that it's not very much. That is my fear at work. And yeah, that's that's why I think I do all of these poor self-care behaviors, staying late, working too much, putting up with inappropriate behaviors. I think a lot of people in my play, workplace are actually a few of them are alcoholics or really, really codependent <laughs> and not in program. So that it actually helps me a lot to use program in those place situations. And um, sometimes it just comes as like an explosion of program when I desperately, when I'm on my knees and desperate about it. I'm hoping as time goes on, it will be a more pleasant, graceful transitioning into program <laughs> from feeling terrified. But I haven't been in the program long. What about you guys? I know you both have a lot more time in the program than me. How do you handle people who don't work in a program or who don't work a program in the workplace? How does that work? Do you use program tools and say you may be right? Or how does that work? For me, fortunately, the only times that I really have to worry about that are the ton there's a few times a year when they get everyone together for one big meeting because we we all work in in different states and different you know we all work from home so those times are a little bit tricky because not only does no one that I'm aware of work a program but there's a lot of alcoholic behavior that happens i mean i work in sales and i feel like for some reason, drinking and sales seem to go hand in hand. So <laughs> drinking and a lot of professions go hand in hand, but particularly sales. And so, you know, sometimes there are self-care tools that I need to use if I'm around behavior that makes me uncomfortable or that I think is inappropriate in terms of making sure that I always have an exit strategy. You know, if I if we go out for an event and everyone is, you know, acting out of control, then can I get a cab? Is someone else not drinking that can drive me home? 
what's my exit strategy? I also try to distance myself from the people who affect me the most. There are definitely people who, even even when they're not drinking, (laughs) trigger something in me that I don't care for them or that we, you know, we just don't mesh. And so fortunately, because it's only about, you know, three weeks out of the year, four weeks out of the year, it's easy for me to just physically just stay away from them, you know, not really engage with them, stick with the stick with the winners, as we would say, stick (laughs) with the people that I do get along with. And something that I also do, and I, I I think I talked about this a little bit on last week's podcast, but we always end up with roommates. And through some trial and error, I have found, because uh, we're staying over at a hotel, they they put us in a room with a roommate, you know, to save money. It's, times are tough, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I basically have no alone time for an entire week when I'm there. So that's fun. <laughs> but I have found a roommate who, you know, after a couple of, of decent ones, they were fine. But this one in particular, she has... She's not in the program, but she has a really strong spiritual foundation. She is she she has a strong faith. And so there is some common dialogue that we can have. Some some of those crossover program terms that sometimes people see as, you know, maybe a little bit religious sounding or whatever, but but it's nice to just know that if I need to unload that she can meet me on that level. That I'm not stuck with someone who if something is bothering me, would tell me, just have another drink, you'll be fine, you know, or something (laughs) useless like that. But as far as specific tools or things that I might say to somebody, you might be right is definitely a helpful one. Mm. I mean, how important is it? Those two kind of go hand in hand. I think for me, the first thought I have in my head when someone says something that I might take as offensive or like Mary said, as a personal affront, the first thought that pops in my head is how important is it? And the second thought that pops in my head is you might be right. (laughs) So those definitely go hand in hand for me. The sleep thing is really important too. you know, uh, making sure that I get enough sleep, because if I don't, that hungry, angry, lonely, tired factor comes into play really strongly. And I get edgy about things that I normally wouldn't or affected by things that I could normally brush off. And again, because we're only together for a short time, we spend all day together in meetings and then everyone wants to go out every night for dinner, drinks, hang out, party. And I just have to know my limits or I, or I have to set a limit with myself in advance. I want to leave by... X time and make sure that I have, you know, like I said, that exit strategy that I have a ride home that or back to the hotel, I guess, uh, that that I can get out of there when I need to so that I can be effective the next day. And and it always shocks me (laughs) how many people are just totally wrecked that week. I mean, they're hung over the whole day during meetings and then they go out every night and I always wonder, what do they actually take away from the meeting? Like, do they even learn anything? Are they hearing any of this new information? Is any of this sinking in? Or are they just here for the party? I don't know. I guess it's not my place to judge what they do. But but I do know that that system does not work for me. So I, I have found another person that I work with who, she's not in the program either, but she has actively chosen 
to no longer drink. And she has some addiction in her family that has affected her a little bit. And so, you know, I, I definitely stick with her, first of all, because I know that she's a safe person to get in the car with. I know that if she drives me back to the hotel, she hasn't been drinking and I don't have to worry about that. But also that because she is, you know, kind of straight headed, she's not going to say or do anything inappropriate <laughs> that might um, affect me or or be some sort of a trigger. And I was just out at one of these meetings, so I'm trying to really use, you know, some specific examples. But it, usually the last night they have a big event of some sort and everybody just goes crazy because it's the last day and all you have to do the next morning is fly home, which some people have a hard time managing that too. But, <laughs> um, you know, this time it was, it was on a boat. Oh. So we did this little cruise through the bay, which was lovely. The scenery was beautiful. We saw these amazing gigantic homes, which were, you know, gorgeous. Uh, the sun was setting, the weather was perfect. It was, it was beautiful, but it's hard to have an exit strategy on a boat. Oh. You know, I can't just grab a life raft and jump off the side. How important is it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess if it did, if it did get bad <laughs> enough, I could just jump overboard and swim somewhere. I don't know, but it did make it a little bit trickier, right. you know. Fortunately, it was a, a very large boat. It had, I think, four different floors. So it was easy to get away from people if I needed to. And and really, I just had to do that. You know, it, it was, it, it's, I found that it's one of those situations where people are generally intoxicated. And so if they say something inappropriate and you just walk away, they don't even realize that I've walked away. <laughs> like they're so in their own zone. They don't even know that I'm not there anymore. So I don't have to say something offensive. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to, like Anne was talking about getting snippy with people. I don't have to do that. I can just remove myself. Mm. And that's a lot of times the best strategy for me, emotionally and physically. So Mary, sorry. Mm kind of overtook that conversation a no, little bit. That was no, good. that's great. I just need to get some booze to my coworkers. <laughs> Tomorrow and Monday morning at work. That's that's how I need to handle this. No, no, guys, it's okay. <laughs> this is for your own good. <laughs> I actually thought about and probably should have taped a Q-tip to my computer. Oh. To quit taking it personally. Oh. Now, I didn't make that up, but it's quit taking it personally because other people's behavior is other people's behavior. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't have a lot to do with me. As mm -hmm. important as I might like to think that I am, it's really just who they are. Mm -hmm. I love um, that. Yeah. So when my boss didn't talk to me for three months and our desks were 30 feet away from each other and I only got my assignments through email and no no conversation. I'd say hello. There was no response. This put me back, way back as a little kid. My mom would not talk to people for days. Mm -hmm. And I did, it didn't happen to me very often because, let me tell you, you only have to do that to me once or twice, and I learned not to provoke that kind of activity or to do everything I can to not be involved in mm -hmm. something that will make somebody that I that is important to me, stop talking to me. But um, when somebody's that important in my life and that 
signs my paycheck, um, <laughs> won't talk to me. It was really very hard. So I had to constantly pray. I had to uh, remember to quit taking it personally. I mean, it was so outrageous. It's like, this is like not normal behavior. Mm-hmm, like nobody, yeah. I've never even heard of anybody doing this. I joined an exercise class, so I had classes twice a week. And at the worst points, I would uh, go out on a walk three times a day during work, like Mm -hmm. mid-morning, lunchtime, and in the afternoon. And even if it was just, you know, five, ten minutes running around the block, not really running, (laughs) for me running, uh, walking around the block, (laughs) it was enough to get the blood flowing and it was enough to get me thinking about something else. I uh, I also, you know, like the program says, you know, get out of yourself. Well, I al- also started helping a junior colleague with their thesis. And uh, it, it was close enough to my field to where I had something to offer her. And it was wonderful. She thought, you know, she thought I was good. And it was nice to get another point of view from someone. Right. <laughs> the other thing I learned when I would get some inappropriate email or some preposterous statement would be to keep my mouth shut Mm -hmm. and just don't take the bait. You know, I don't, I don't need to respond to unkindness with unkindness of my own. That really just poisons everybody. Um, So I was pretty good about that, you know, and I'm a very patient person, but there was times when I was really losing patience with this. So that's where <laughs> prayer came in again. I also have a really good sponsor. Mm-hmm. And the reason I picked my sponsor is because of because of her spiritual life. And that's why that's how I've always selected my sponsors. I've never had one that's been the same religion as me, which is fine, but every one of them has had a spiritual strength that I would like to have myself. So I would talk to my sponsor. The other thing is when I would get really mad, and I mean, I'm popping mad, I would remember what a colleague of ours would say that anger is comprised of fear, guilt, and hurt. So I started to have to look at, okay, so what did I do that I feel guilty about? You know, I mean, I'm not above poking the bear, right? <laughs> you know, I I used to enjoy antagonizing people on a regular basis so we could have these wild debates. Well, sometimes, you know, I'm not perfect either. And sometimes I screw up. And so I need to look at myself. So if I keep the focus on myself, it's far less likely that I'll be focusing on somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think those were kind of the main things. Oh, I know the last thing was gratitude. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I have a job. Yeah, this really sucks, but you know what? I'm paying my rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this really sucks, but you know, I'm not doing something that's really not related to my talents. <laughs> Although sometimes you wonder, at least I'm making a decent living today. I might not be fortunate enough to have this in the future, so I need to look at the things that are positive about what this job gets me. Mm. Yeah, actually... Uh Mary, your share just reminded me that we had another voicemail, and uh, it's from Spencer. And just it seems to hit all of those points, so I'm just going to go ahead and play that now. Hi, this is Spencer, and once again, I'm not able to be with you for the recovery show because I'm in Philadelphia this week. I'm calling about using the program in the workplace. And there are two significant ways in which I continue to use uh, what I've learned in the program in the workplace. The first of those involves letting go of control over the things that are not really mine. Since uh, in in my work, I was one of the 
uh, first people to be working in the organization. I built a large part of the initial version of our software. I always felt that I had a sort of uh, responsibility to make sure that everything was done perfectly, everything was done right, and of course, only I could really make it happen correctly. And this led to a lot of stress. This led to not the best interactions with coworkers. It left, led to me also not doing the work that was really mine to do because I was trying to do everybody else's work. And in Al-Anon, I have learned to really only take responsibility for the things that are mine and to let go of those things that are not mine to control and to understand that everybody else will be doing the best that they can and that that will be good enough and it doesn't have to be perfect. I still work on this to some extent. It really has improved my ability to get my work done and not get distracted by other people's problems. The other significant way that the program has helped me in the workplace is in my anger management Before I came into the program, when I was still dealing with active addiction in my life without having any spiritual basis to to deal with it, I had a lot of pent-up anger and rage. And this would come out in any kind of situation, and it did come out at work. When, you know, somebody would say something that I disagreed with, I would get really angry. I might certainly raise my voice. I might start yelling dominating the discussion. And this often led to the, Spencer, please come into my office for a minute and let's close the door type discussion with my boss. And at one point it it went on to my annual review that I needed to deal with my anger issues. I needed to have some sort of anger management classes, perhaps. What I really needed was to come into into recovery and to have my higher power and through the program, drain off that that pent-up anger that was spilling over inappropriately at work and at home. I continue to use the program in lots of different ways. I use it to help me uh, see the ways in which I, I work that are, that are not the best. It helps me to deal with those uh, difficult coworkers that are, you know, a feature of, of any large enough organization. And uh, it helps me to maintain my serenity in the face of the chaos that pervades in, in a large software development project, which is where I work. I'm really grateful to Al-Anon. I think that I would not have kept my current job if it weren't for Al-Anon, and it definitely makes living at work a lot easier. Looking forward to listening to this episode, and talk to you later. Bye. Wow, that hit a lot of... <laughs> hit home for a lot of things for me. I definitely appreciate the stuff he was talking about with anger. I think I pick up a lot of the bad habits, I think. I don't, I don't know if that's judgmental, but the, <laughs> the behaviors that really frustrate me and others, I pick up a lot of those. When mm. I'm scared or freaked out, I give my power to other people. And then I think they have power by doing this behavior. So if I do this behavior, I will be able to regain my power. Like I think once I did my fourth step, I realized that that's a lot more of how my thinking was. And after um, after I did my fourth step, I realized that um, I had a lot of self-trust issues and uh, self-esteem issues, and that that worked in, against me in the workplace a lot. So... Nowadays, I try to focus rather than rather than getting angry. When I get angry, I never get angry at the person that I'm angry with. I never mm. exhibit that anger. I'll instead come home and, you know, be snippy with my partner or 
irritable with my family or snap at my dog or something like that. And then if I'm angry with one of them, I'll go and do it in the workplace. Um, so it's never with the person I'm actually angry at. I realize that a lot of that, kind of like what you were saying, Mary, where you realize that anger is actually a lot of other feelings underneath it. So I usually call a program friend. My sponsor is awesome too, and she's really good at helping me dissect what's going on underneath all of that anger or frustration. And then I'm able to let go. I'm able to figure out what my basic needs are and uh, address those needs myself. And uh, when I need to set boundaries, which is like my absolute least favorite thing to do. Actually, I hate it. I really hate setting boundaries. <laughs> it's, I hate it. I hate it so much. But when I do, and it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And then it's, uh, when it does, it's, it's great because it reinforces that that positive behavior. And when it doesn't, it's okay uh, because it gives me another chance to figure out other program tools. And amongst those tools I for setting boundaries, I think especially at work, it's really helped me out to use I statements instead of saying, you got mad at me and you threw this tantrum and you, 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 I could say, you know, I don't feel really comfortable when you do, when you are throwing things or when you raise your voice, it makes me feel really uncomfortable. So how can we address this? Instead of saying, so you need to stop doing this or this is what we're going to do and involving the other person and saying, this is, this is an us thing. So this is what I'm thinking we could do. And what do you think about it? How do you think we should address this? And if that doesn't work, then the next thing I do is just go and talk to perhaps or have a meeting with the other person, me and a supervisor or an HR person or something like that. Just in just doing that, whether or not it works out in my favor, works out exactly the way I want, which never, ever, never has anything ever worked out exactly the way I wanted, but actually has worked out better. Just doing that, I think, helps my self-esteem, helps my self-value so much. Just telling, just telling myself that, no, you're not, you're not crazy. You actually have feelings. Your feelings are okay. It's all right to have those feelings. It doesn't matter if anyone else agrees with you. It's okay for you to be scared in the situation and to ask for help. Just doing that has helped me out. That's how I kind of let go, let go of this kind of control that I need to have over other people's behaviors. I think that's what I do at the workplace is when someone is acting in a way that I'm not comfortable with, rather than do it, using Q-tip, quit taking it personally, immediately I'm like, I have to control their behavior because it's making me uncomfortable. Mm. Rather than doing that, just saying, just admitting to myself how I feel, saying this is how I feel and it's okay. And uh, then letting, I'm able to let it go at that point and then just do what I need to do to honor my own feelings and honor my own needs. And it always helps to check that out with a program friend because sometimes honoring my feelings and honoring my needs, I fantasize about some very inappropriate <laughs> things also that I could get arrested for. <laughs> so it's always good to check in, guys. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have any last thoughts or suggestions for our listeners on program in the workplace? I liked what Spencer had to say about letting go of control of things mm. that aren't his. That is definitely beneficial to me. Um, if, if I'm keeping my side of the street clean, if I'm doing my tasks, because the problem is if I'm doing my stuff plus everybody else's and then the stuff of theirs that I do, if I don't do it correctly, then it comes back on me doesn't come back on them, you know, because I was the one who took care of it. And most likely, if I'm trying to do three different people's jobs, as Mary also mentioned, I'm a lot less effective. So I'm probably likely going to screw it up. So mm -hmm. I just need to take care of my own stuff. I feel like working as a sponsor, 
has really helped me be accepting of that idea. Because if I can sit and talk to somebody that I truly care about and listen to the decisions that they're going to make and listen to them talking about their lives and be okay with them doing whatever they're doing, then I can definitely do that with some random coworker that I am not invested in. You know, I can hear them out when they have a suggestion or an idea and listen to their thoughts and not feel like I have to shut it down right away. And by the way, I haven't, I mean, I've known Spencer for a few years, probably maybe five now, five or six. I cannot envision him screaming at people at work. I just don't know that side of him. So it's always so odd when I hear him talk about that because I just can't, he just doesn't seem like that kind of guy. I mean, I'm sure, you know, maybe people have known him longer pre-program would disagree with me, but I just had to put that out there. Program changes people. (laughs) I can't imagine that either, Kelly. I also liked what he had to say about perfection. You know, because I'm in sales, a lot of my job is numbers driven and we get goals at the beginning of every season and we get constant updates on how we're doing on those numbers. And if we're not hitting it, someone makes sure to mention it. And I, I work for a couple different companies and some of them are much better about being understanding about the current economic climate and several factors that may play into why you're not reaching your numbers. But I do have one that, I, I don't know, I, I felt he was not being realistic about my capabilities. It was almost like Mary said about the, you know, I don't know what you said about jump off a building and fly around or something, <laughs> something that I'm not physically capable of. He was asking me to do. And I really, I sat with it for a long time and for the, and, For the longest time, I really thought I was going to make the decision to no longer work with that company because I just couldn't deal with his attitude. I mean, he just, it was never good enough. It was never enough. Even if I reached the first goal, kind of like you were talking about on last week's podcast, Swetha, like he would set a goal. and, And if I reached that, then he would set a further goal. And if I reached that, then he would set a further. I mean, it was just never, there was never the pat on the back that said, great job. Let's see how much further you can take this. Keep going. You know, it was just, okay, but what about this? Mm-hmm. But but what about over here? You know, it's just always the what ifs. And so I sat with it for a long time. And really, I, I'm still working for that company. And what happened is we had a long conversation. And I came to realize that he did not feel he was getting enough communication from me. And so because he didn't know where I was coming from, he just kept pushing the envelope. So so now I communicate with him on a regular basis at least at least once a month at the at the absolute um you know most distant. And now we have a great relationship. He understands my area, he understands how things are here. I'm turning in a sufficient amount of work because when I don't turn in work, I let him know, hey, I'm out of the office this week because I'm at a sales conference for another company. So I won't be turning in a lot of things to you this week. And when I communicate, shockingly enough, when I communicate with people and they know where I'm coming from, they can be more understanding about my limitations and my boundaries and my situation rather than me just throwing it at them and saying, listen to this, you know, <laughs> this is what I need. And, and they just, you know, now, he, now that he knows where I'm coming from, he can be a lot more respectful and, and understanding. Yeah, I mean, I, and I guess as far as last thoughts, 
pause button. <laughs> when all else fails, use the pause button. And I will say, I feel like being working for myself, mm-hmm. I have a great advantage to be able to use the pause button because the majority of my communication from other people comes from email. So I can let that email sit for days if I choose, <laughs> if I know that the response that is in my head is not an appropriate one to give back. <laughs> Pause button is amazing. It's definitely, as Spencer said, it's. I, there are jobs that I would have lost without that tool. So, yeah. I can't imagine you ever saying anything <laughs> inappropriate either, Kelly. Can't imagine Spencer yelling. Can't imagine you saying anything inappropriate. I'm kind of like that bear Mary was talking about. If you poke <laughs> me enough times, then I will get angry. It takes a lot to get to that point, but once you do, look out. <laughs> oh, man. What about you, Mary? Any last thoughts for our listeners? Now that I'm listening to what you have to say, I think I might know when the tide from this last job turned against me. Mm. When I returned confrontation, when I was being insulted and I didn't respond perfectly, um, I was being told that um, I'm a very poor communicator and that it's so hard to communicate with me and my boss didn't know what to do about it. Now, I've been fired from jobs that have said, she's an excellent communicator, but. (laughs) So even people that didn't want me working with them anymore acknowledged that I was a good communicator, and I'd always received high marks for that. And so my response was, well, I agree there's a problem with communication, but it's not me. Mm. And the response I got was, what are you saying? I'm poor at communication? And I said what I just said to you. Well, I've always received good marks for communication, so if there's a problem, I'm afraid I'm not the source. So, you know, that's really not something you should say to someone <laughs> that's upset with you. So so I have to say that part of the difficulty in the relationship certainly could have been my attitude. Returning respect, even when people are disrespectful, is something I find very difficult. I'm good up to a point, but then I lose it. And I think that uh, my unconscious creeping up on me and my emotional responses to things that were being said is what did me in. Mm -hmm. Usually when I get in trouble, it's not what the other person did. It's my response to what they did. Mm -hmm. Saying you might be right or acknowledge shaking my head and not saying anything might be um, another way to respond. Uh, Standing up for myself also is very good, but I need to do it tactfully. What you said, Kelly, about detaching from other people's behavior is really great. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that um, I tried very hard to do. Self-care is another thing. Uh, The hungry, angry, lonely, tired thing that you mentioned is just really huge. I ate very well, and I actually lost weight during this whole year because I was eating better and watching what I was putting in my mouth. And not always, but usually... And the other thing is that um, I remember somebody saying, you know, one of the slogans in the program is easy does it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm really mad, one thing that I can do is withhold, withhold my labor, withhold my response, withhold whatever I have. So I need to modify that saying for me, easy does it, but do it. (laughs) If I have a task to do, I need to do what I'm supposed to do. I don't need to 
find 50 other things to occupy my time and then be passively resistant to other somebody else's uh, wish for control. So um, keeping my side of the street clean, as you said, is really my number one priority. And that's why in my new position today, I even went in on a Saturday when no one was there and no one will know about it because I want to make sure that I perform well in this new position. So um, sometimes we do have to work a little extra. Thanks. Oh, I really love those. Now when I go to work Monday morning, (laughs) I'll go in there with some new tools. I think a really important thing is focusing on my part and things, even if my part is just like you were mentioning, Kelly, not enough communication or not being clear or, yeah, or not emphasizing things. For example, perhaps with that coworker I was mentioning that throws throws tantrums, maybe when I was talking to my supervisor, I might not have emphasized, no, this is really a problem, rather than just saying, oh, you're okay with it? Well, yeah, 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 I'll be okay with it too, for example. So in that way, just clear communication, a lot of honesty, uh, not just at work, but really in any situation. It's I realize it's a lot easier to have clear communication and honesty when I feel like I'm on top of everything. And the second that I feel like I'm slipping up, that's when it gets hard. But but it doesn't mean it's any less applicable um, just because I'm having issues with my self-esteem. And then let it happen first, too. I think, uh, like you were mentioning, Mary, I kind of grew up in a household where we weren't really necessarily appreciated for good behavior it was just silence was the appreciation they're not Mm. nagging you Mm. so so you must be doing a good job no one's on your ass so you must be doing great (laughs) so giving myself that that appreciation even if I'm not receiving it from others and saying you know what I am doing the best I can that was really good and also letting things happen first I think I've been in enough situations where I've been in I've been uncomfortable with behaviors that I've just been like, oh, I know what's going to happen next. If I do this, they're gonna do this. If I don't come in every weekend for the next ten weeks, I'm gonna get fired. But having a little faith in other people also, not having them jump off of tall buildings and fly around it or what have you, but ha- accepting them for who I are and then realizing that not everyone is out to get me is always really great at work <laughs> rather than just thinking they're going to try and do this and they're going to try and do this and they're going to try and do this. But that's most likely not true. It's most likely I'm just freaking out about nothing. So letting things happen first and then realizing when I do do things that it's my choice. If I say to my supervisor, yeah, I'll come in this weekend saying, I mean, realizing and accepting and telling myself you know, you're choosing to do this and that's okay if you're making the choice, but remember you're making the choice. Helps me remember that I'm in control. The I statements, I feel this way, I saw this, this is how I felt. Helps me remember that I'm in control. It's all in my power and it's my power to give away. All of that really helps me with program in the workplace. So with that, that's going to end our discussion portion of today's episode and after a short break we'll be back with our lives and recovery where we talk about the meetings we, t- we attend and what's happening in our lives and kelly what what are we going to play for our first song so as we mentioned we uh, there were so many topics that we came up on <laughs> for a program in the workplace that we just decided to go the easy route and do just songs about work so first we're going to hear dolly parton singing work in nine to five And I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life 
jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five side guys i feel like dolly parton must have had great boundaries because that's eight hours of work and i would never <laughs> be able to just feel like all right nine to five <laughs> right in this section of the podcast we talk about our lives and recovery what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week kelly would you like to start us off yes so this week i mostly was on the road traveling again so I did not make it to too many meetings. Again, as is my usual procedure, I downloaded lots of episodes from the Recovered podcast. Listen to that while I was driving. And then actually, I filled in as a guest host on the Recovered podcast. And the topic was influences on your program. So we talked a little bit about how you got to the program, who influenced your decision to try to go to your first meeting, um, people who kind of helped you through the first couple of meetings when you're kind of in that awkward stage and feeling really uncomfortable and not sure if you want to stick around. And uh, I talked a little bit about the first person who ever really connected with me. Uh, there was a woman around my age who just greeted me one day and started talking to me about I don't even know what, but she just acted like we were old friends. And it was really comforting because I, I didn't really have any friends in the program at that time. And so it was nice to make that first connection. And together, we kind of teamed up and, and met a bunch of other people and um, started an AWOL group and, and were, were able to get really involved at that point. And so anyway, it was a good experience. It was nice to help out Mark on uh, Recovered Cast. And you can check out that episode or any other episodes at recoveredcast.com. And uh, that's about it for my week. It was just a lot of driving, a lot of potential moments to be stuck in my head. So I did do a lot of reaching out as well, made a lot of phone calls, texted with a lot of people. Um, and that really helped also just kind of keep me, you know, sane. Swetha, how was your week? Actually, I didn't go to as many meetings as I, as I normally do because of work. <laughs> Perfect. Actually, I do research outside of work and we're coming up against a deadline. So I've had to put in a few extra hours and it was my choice and I don't feel resentful about it. So I know that I'm <laughs> something's working in program and I'm still able to focus on self-care. So reaching out to people and making sure that I am taking care of myself and I am paying attention to how I'm feeling about certain things. I ended up calling my sponsor one or two times this week and doing step work. I went to a meeting on Wednesday and I, I, I want to say the topic was self-care, <laughs> um, but that's definitely the take-home message I, I felt I took. And uh, I think it felt a lot like, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do, this person was talking, the person that did the lead was talking about how when she's not tuning into what she needs for self-care and things like that, she's more liable to be short and snippy with family members. I was thinking, yep, yeah, 
that's me. I mean, <laughs> her family is absolutely nothing like mine. Um, however, <laughs> I, same thing, exactly the same behavior. I didn't go to my regular Friday meeting this week because I went to therapy, a, spirit, a spiritual therapist, and it was it was really great. I a lot of um, kind of what you were mentioning earlier, Kelly, about people with strong spiritual foundations and how much crossover there is. I learned a lot about keeping my side of the street clean and focusing on what my part is. And wouldn't you know it, clearer communication, <laughs> better dialogue, <laughs> and all of that. And uh, I hope to be going to Joe's tonight and uh, hearing this, the talk there. I always love those. Our topic next week will be step seven. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail and send or send us an email with your experience or questions about step seven. Kelly, how can people send us feedback? Well, they can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website and join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at com. And we definitely do love to hear from you guys. We've been getting a lot of mail lately and a lot of voicemails, and it's really nice to be able to incorporate you guys into the podcast. So please feel free to share, if you're comfortable with us, your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of program in the workplace, or next week's topic of step seven. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know that too. Mary, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Al-Anon Open Talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. There are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. You can leave comments on the blog. Or you can take a look at our suggested topic list. If you see a topic you'd like covered, leave a comment there to vote it up. If you don't see the topic you're interested in, let us know and we'll get right on it. We're always looking for music suggestions and have a page with just a few we've received so far. It's under Topic Ideas on the menu at the top of the website. If you're inspired or ambitious, think about contributing a guest meditation or a meditation prompt usually a quote or a song lyric. If you'd like the meditations emailed to you daily, click on the email button at the top right corner of the page to sign up. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Hey, Swetha, do we have any voicemails, emails, or comments this week? Um, we had those two voicemails from Anne and Spencer, and we also got a meditation comment from Jessica. She writes, Hi guys, I just wanted to suggest that for Joseph's topic of addic idea of addiction as a disease, you may want to check out some YouTube videos of, doc of Gabor Mate, mate. He has some very keen insights on this and is a doctor who works with alcoholics and addicts every day. Thanks for the great show. Here's a link to the one I've watched, but he has many others on the YouTube on YouTube that may be even better. And we'll post this YouTube video on in our show notes. Kelly, would you like to read the next comment? Sure. We got a comment from Marianne who says, I'm also a worry champion. At an AA meeting I was at last week, the topic chosen to discuss was fear and worry. I loved what one long timer said, worrying is like answering the phone before it rings. 
don't answer the phone before it rings. <laughs> it really stuck with me. And now when I find myself worrying about things that haven't happened yet, I immediately think, don't answer the phone before it rings. We got another comment from Ruth. Uh, Ruth writes, hey guys, I liked your talk about gratitude so much. Making it a thing, making a list of things that are that you're grateful for is a great tool to becoming serene at certain times. Once I was doing this, during the last days, a song came into my mind. I know this song since my childhood. For a long time, I didn't appreciate the God part in it, but still, it always had something irresistible. Unfortunately, I found this German song only in German. It, it seems there's no English translation for it. But maybe you'd still like to listen to this modern version. The translation is The Doctors. <laughs> of course, they make fun of it, but the message is still there. I post to you the English translation and uh, the YouTube link, and I hope you enjoy it. The lyrics are, thank you for every good morning. Thank you for every new day. Thank you for letting me burden you with all my worries. Thank you for all the good friends. Thank you, Lord, for everyone. And uh, we'll post the rest of the lyrics and the YouTube video on the website. We also have iTunes reviews and the iTunes reviews and ratings that you guys uh, put on iTunes helps us to be easier to find for those in need who are seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review and your identity will not be shown. In podcast news, we just wanted to mention that recoveredcasts.com, they are continuing to upload the 12-hour podcast that Mark did as a benefit to his son, Andrew, a few weeks ago. And... He has added the next segment of that. Uh, you can go to recoveredcast.com and get that episode there. And then also want to let all of our listeners know that on September 8th from 1 to 6 p.m., the Recovered Cast crew will be podcasting live from the Dawn Farm Jamboree. It is a free event put on by Dawn Farm, which is a local treatment center. And the purpose is to raise funding to help addicts and alcoholics who want treatment. And just as a side note, Dawn Farm has never turned away any alcoholic or addict for lack of funds. So they definitely appreciate your donations. If you are local, you can go. It's a free event. And this year is the 40th anniversary of this event. And uh, this is their only public fundraiser. At the Jamboree, they have a live auction, silent auction, live music, games for kids, and the kids can also meet and pet the farm animals and take pony rides. So it's a fun event for all ages and a great way to be of service to a good cause. And it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, which run about $30 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in the ear in, of the newcomer in a couple of ways. We have a donation basket button on the website where you can support us directly just like Wendy did. Thank you, Wendy, for helping us to buy oh, better microphone stands. Yay. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, we have put also put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page and find one that you like, you can order them from Amazon through our website. And if you do that, we will receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. And we're going to close with a song that I think a lot of people are familiar with. It's Taking Care of Business by Bachman Turner Overdrive. And uh, I think the title's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs>
Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem that you are facing today, feel free to contact us so that we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Thank you.